Today on Living in the Word with Dr. Gary Yates. The Old Testament law is an important part of a well-balanced spiritual diet. We need to be reading, meditating, studying, uh, and engaging all parts of the Bible. Hi, this is Gary Yates, the pastor of Living Word Baptist Church in Forest, Virginia. Thank you for joining us uh, for our study of the biblical covenants as we continue to look at the Mosaic Covenant. We have spent some extra time looking at the Mosaic Covenant and trying to focus on that because this is a part of the Bible that many many Christians are, are not really sure what to do with. They feel uh, a, a, a disconnect as they try to read through this. How does the Old Testament law related to the Old Covenant apply to us as New, new Covenant, New Testament believers and uh, it may be a part of the Bible that we feel like skimming or skipping over or that we don't feel particularly connected to. Uh, what does the book of Leviticus have to do with my daily walk with the Lord? Um, now, that's, that's often our response to the law or our perspective on it. But I want to remind us of what David says about the law uh, in Psalm 19 as he talks about this and, and talks about the law's perfection and the importance and the value that he places upon it. And he says this in Psalm 19, 7 and following. He says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. So David has a, a, a love of value for the law of God, which is probably talking about God's instruction in general, but also includes the Mosaic law. We may not feel uh, the, the, same, uh, the same affection or value for the law when we're reading through uh, books like Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. However, I, I want to try to just argue for the idea in this presentation that the Old Testament law is an important part of a well-balanced spiritual diet. In the same way that we need a well-balanced diet to stay healthy physically, we need to be reading, meditating, studying, uh, and engaging all parts of the Bible, all the different books of the Bible, the different genres of the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, and that includes uh, the Old Testament law. Uh, even the parts of the of the Word of God that are not directly to us are still written for us. And even though we are no longer under the Mosaic Covenant that came to an end with the death of Jesus, the Mosaic Law is still relevant for us today as the eternal Word of God. Uh, I want to remind us of what Paul says about Scripture, which would be primarily here. He's speaking of Old Testament Scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16. He says that all Scripture is God-breathed. And it's profitable for our instruction, correction, reproof, and training in righteousness. And uh, so we, we need the Old Testament law. And particularly, there are certain theological themes, emphases, and ideas that come out of the law that make it especially valuable for us as believers today. Uh, I, I believe that uh, the law gives us an elevated view of God, a unique perspective on who God is and God's character. 
Uh, there are theological themes that are highlighted here that are very important for us. There are ethical demands that we're reminded of. And then finally, the law even speaks prophetically, uh, pointing forward to Jesus. And so as we think about um, these important theological themes in the law, the first one that I wanted to mention is just the way that the law of Moses reminds us of the greatness and the holiness of God. Uh, the holiness of God refers to his moral purity and, and the fact that he is completely separate from anything that is evil. It is God's uh, consecration and devotion to his attributes. And, and the, the, the commandments of the law uh, are a reflection of God's holy and righteous character. God is a God of righteousness and a God of justice. And we see that in the laws that he gave to his people. Uh, we see the greatness of God revealed in the law. On Mount Sinai, even before the law is given, God reveals himself in the smoke and the fire and the thunder and reminds the people that they are not to approach the mountain because uh, he is of, his, of his presence and his holiness there. And so the, re the reminder of God's greatness and holiness means that we give him in our lives ultimate honor and respect. The fear of the Lord uh, is is a healthy attitude to have toward God and this reverence and all that we have for him. Uh, the law reminds us that sin and disobedience to God's commands, because he is a holy God, are a serious issue. And the punishments that are found in the law for sin and for disobedience are often serious and severe because God is a holy God who has a, a pure hatred for anything that is evil. So in our culture, our world, our church today, I think we need these fresh reminders of the holiness of God that come to us from the Mosaic law. Um, in, in, within the law, uh, the Lord instructed Israel how to build the tabernacle, and through that tabernacle, the Lord provided a way for his presence to live and dwell among his people. But what you have here is a holy God living in the midst of a sinful people. That means that Israel had to be careful in the way that they approached God and in the way that they came into his presence. God had to be approached, first of all, through sacrifice and through cleansing. There were restricted levels of access into the presence of God uh, because sinners can't just walk into God's presence. Even the priest had to be careful in the way that they approach God. The high priest alone could go in the, uh, the most holy place, and he could only do that one place a year. Uh, on the very first day that the tabernacle is open for business, um, Aaron's sons die because they approach the presence of God in the wrong way. Going into the presence of God is like being in the presence of a downed electrical wire. It's dangerous uh, to go into God's presence, and they had to be careful in the way that they did that. The law placed two requirements on Israel for going into or entering into the presence of God. Uh, they were to be holy, uh, first of all, and then they were to be clean. And these are two separate things. Holiness referred to their status as God's chosen people, which meant that they were to live in a way that reflected their devotion and consecration to God. Be holy for I am holy. They were to reflect God's character in the way that they lived. So that was a requirement. But there was also the requirement of cleanness and purity for Israel to enter the presence of God. And, and that's talking about something that is slightly different. This purity was not about hygiene and washing your hands or taking baths. It was a ceremonial purity that was required of the people and, and the priest as they entered into the presence of, of God and the sacred places of the tabernacle and later the temple where they met with God. Uh, in their daily lives, in the normal course of life, this was just a natural thing that they would become 
uh, unclean uh, in their daily routines. There was nothing wrong or sinful about that. But the issue was is that that uncleanness had to be dealt with before they came into the presence of the Lord, or ultimately they would die in his presence. And so there's a reminder of that over and over again, Leviticus chapter 10, Leviticus chapter 11, Leviticus chapter 15. Purity even extended to the foods that Israel ate. Every part of life, there's a reminder here that that we as God's people live all of our lives in God's presence and so we, we, again, need to be reminded through both the holy and purity laws that are there that we are to be holy because God is holy. In connection with this emphasis on holiness, the law also reminds us of the priority of worship. And so God is worthy of our worship, and God alone is the one that we are to worship. Israel was a kingdom of priests. That was their identity. The church and all believers today are a kingdom of priests. Israel worshiped at the temple. The church as the people of God have become a living dwelling place of God. Israel offered their sacrifices and their praises and service to God as worship at the temple. Uh, And believers also offer throughout their lives the sacrifice of praise. Their lives are daily living sacrifices that are offered to God. So in in a real sense, we are serving as God's priest. We are serving as God's temple and offering him worship with our entire lives 24-7. The central demand of worship in the law was that Israel was to be exclusively devoted to God. Uh, They were to worship him and him alone. Uh, The the Lord's relationship was like a a marriage in the way that God designed marriage, And, and a marriage requires singular and exclusive devotion. There's only one person that can be the object of our affection. In the Shema, in Deuteronomy 6.4, the Lord says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. So the Lord is our God. We are in a special covenant relationship with him. And then also, the Lord is one. He is absolutely unique, and that's why he's the exclusive object of worship. God, uh, the Lord of Israel, is the only eternal, self-existent creator God And Israel was not to have anything to do with the gods of other nations and peoples. They cannot bring those gods, whether they exist or not, into that special relationship they had with the Lord without doing serious and irreparable damage to the covenant commitment, the covenant relationship that they had with the Lord. The most serious sin in the Mosaic Covenant was not murder or adultery or theft. It was idolatry and the worship of other gods that would lead to all of the other sins and and breaking of the commandments that were in the law. Uh, This is the sin, and this is the problem that we see over and over again in the Old Testament. And Jeremiah 2.13 reminds us of the tragic consequences of Israel's idolatry. They exchanged and forsake, they, they forsook the living God, the fountain of living waters, for other gods that were broken cisterns that would never satisfy them and that could never save or deliver or satisfy their needs. The law reminds us over and over again of the danger of idolatry in our lives. Now, unlike Israel, we don't worship uh, gods made out of stone and metal. That's not a part of our culture uh, like it was in the ancient world. But in our lives, those warnings about idolatry remind us that anything in our lives that we give ultimate loyalty or devotion to or that we turn to for security and significance in the place of God, those things become idols. 
And uh, when, we, when we serve those things rather than the Lord, we are forsaking the fountain of living water for the broken cisterns that might be in our lives. The law also reminds us about worship, that we are to worship God on his terms and in response to how he has revealed himself. This is what Jesus is talking about in John 4, 24, when he says that we are to worship in spirit and in truth. Israel was not to worship with idols and images like all of the other ancient religions because no image or no idol could adequately represent or reflect who God was. Israel was not to adopt pagan altars or sanctuaries. They were not to mix pagan worship and Yahweh worship. They were not to bring immoral and debased fertility rites practiced in these other religions into the worship of the, of the Lord. God is not that kind of God. They were to worship the Lord in a way that reflected his holiness and his uniqueness. The Lord uh, in the law will command Israel to drive the Canaanites out of the land because he did not want Canaanite worship practices to influence Israelite worship practices. But ultimately, we see that's exactly what happened. Israel begins to worship the Baals and the Asherahs, and they bring these pagan things into the worship of the Lord and, and create this syncretistic mix. They are not exclusively devoted to God. Um, in Exodus 25 to 31, going back to the tabernacle, the Lord uh, instructs Israel exactly in meticulous detail how they are to make and construct the tabernacle because they have to worship him and approach him on his terms, exactly as he tells him to. And, and every detail is there. It becomes a bit monotonous for us to read that. And then we go to chapters 35 to 40, and when they do construct the temple, those details are repeated all over again. Uh, God has to be worshipped on his terms. And the problem in that section, as we go from uh, Exodus 25 to, to 40, is that right in the middle of that section, Exodus chapter 32 Israel worships God on their own terms. They worship a golden calf um, in, the, in the way that they conceive of God uh, based on what they have learned from the culture around them. And, and that kind of worship is not acceptable to the Lord. Uh, another major emphasis in the Mosaic Law is the ethical demands that God places on his people so that they might reflect his character and so that the nations around them might see the goodness of the Lord. The laws in Leviticus 17 to 27 are referred to as the holiness code because that's a key word in that section. And those commands there reflect an emphasis on holiness and what it means for God's people to live a holy life, that type of consecrated life. The law teaches Israel to love the Lord with all of their heart and what that looks like, but it also teaches them to love their neighbors as themselves. There are moral and ethical demands that go along with that. So in Leviticus chapter 18, we have divine commands about sexual relationships and boundaries. And, and these, are, these are not arbitrary laws or things that God sets up in order to prohibit the, the enjoyment of sexual expression. They are instead reflecting the creational design uh, for sexual relationships that we read about in the first part of the Torah when God creates Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 2. And, and those laws remain foundational to the sexual ethic of the New Testament as well. In the parts of the law that focus on loving your neighbor, there is a high priority on the need for the practice of justice, compassion, and concern for all people that, that we especially need to be reminded of in the church today. This is part of our mission, not just preaching the gospel, but caring for the poor and helping the, the needy. And, and the law reminds us of that.
The concept of justice in the Mosaic Law is not just the idea of a society where people get what they deserve. It's, it's about a caring and helping society where, where people help each other so that they all can thrive and flourish and experience God's blessing in life. Um, there is a special concern for the poor and the needy in the Mosaic Law that we see uh, in passages like Deuteronomy 15. Uh, Deuteronomy 15.7 says that there will always be poor among you. And so in chapter 15, verse 11, uh, Israel is to, the people of Israel are to, to, to be generous and kind and giving uh, to the poor and the needy because that's a reflection of the character of God. And, and it's, it's informative for us to see in some of the specific commandments in the law, the degree to which God wanted Israel to show that kind of care and compassion. Uh, Deuteronomy 15, chapter 1 uh, they were to cancel debts every seven years. God did not want people living in perpetual uh, poverty. Uh, Leviticus talks about the year of Jubilee every 50th year, where everything reverts back uh, in terms of land and property to the original owners and original families. Uh, there's a reset button where there's a chance for people to start life over. Uh, God says they are to care for widows and orphans because God cares uh, for the poor and the needy and, and those that are at uh, the bottom of the ladder and who need our help. Uh, they were to treat their servants and slaves with compassion because God had delivered them and rescued them from slavery in Egypt. Deuteronomy 23, verses 19 to 20, they were not to charge interest on loans they made to fellow Israelites who were in need because the, the, the aim where there was not making money, it was helping your neighbor. Uh, Leviticus 19 and Deuteronomy 24, they were to allow the poor to glean in their fields so that they would have food and not go hungry and the poor had the opportunity to work for that in a way that maintained their dignity. Uh, Leviticus chapter 25, the, the laws and, and regulations about kinsmen redeemers. If a relative had to sell himself into servitude or had to sell property to pay off a debt, then other relatives who had the means and, and, and ways to do this had a responsibility to redeem that property back or to buy that person out of their debt slavery. So again, they could thrive and flourish. Uh, the law reminds us that preaching the gospel and caring for the poor uh, are, are both central to the mission of the church today. Uh, and so the idea that the Old Testament law is not really relevant or important to us, uh, I, I think we see just how, how, how relevant these ethical demands are uh, you know, for just informing our Christian ethic. In the book of Acts, it tells us that the early church in Jerusalem uh, they would often sell property, distribute it to those that were, were in need because they desired that, they would, that there would be no poor living among that Christian community. So in other words, they didn't disregard the law and say, that's old covenant. They were saying, we want to be the kind of community that is reflected and that God desires in these commandments. Finally, I think the law has a positive value for us because it speaks prophetically about Jesus. And so we see shadows and types and things that are leading us to Jesus. In the stories of Torah, right at the very beginning, we see the failures of Adam, the first Adam, and it reminds us that Jesus will come as the second Adam to reverse the sin and death uh, that the original fall and the effect that that, that had on us. The celebration of Passover uh, is pointing forward to Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, Christ is our Passover lamb uh, who was sacrificed for us. In the Gospel of John, we see Jesus recurringly at the temple during the times of the Old Testament feasts and festivals because those feasts were pointing forward to the things that Jesus would do 
in bringing salvation and redemption as the promised Messiah. Uh, the tabernacle, not every part of the tabernacle is pointing to Jesus, and people get sort of uh, carried away and exaggerated with some of the typologies. But the way that God was present among his people in the tabernacle is reflective of the greater way that Jesus in the incarnation would be present uh, among us and live among us. And John 1.14 says, uh, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. The, the presence of God in the tabernacle anticipates in a greater way uh, the presence of God that would come in the person of Jesus. The glory of God is revealed in a greater way uh, in, a, in a person than in a building. So in all of these ways, uh, the way God is presented, the theological themes, the ethical demands, and the, the, pro- the prophetic foreshadowing of Jesus, uh, we see the value of the law. Uh, David said, the law of the Lord is perfect and revives the soul, and the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The law had that impact and effect on David's life, and it has that benefit and blessing for us as well.